Today, my guest was a former counselor for the city of Waterloo. She represented the Uptown Ward from 2018 to 2022. She may not have been a counselor for a long time, but she certainly went through some interesting times. I'm pleased to welcome Tanil Bonagor to the Old Grey Mayors podcast. Tanil, hello. Hello. Listen, thank you very much for being on here. That's great. Um, Happy to chat. Yeah. And and, and you know what? So far, I have this string of I'm I'm just interviewing for some reason, just the female politicians from Waterloo. So uh, there's a lot of us. uh, I know, which is good. Yes, it's nice. I mean, as a father of three daughters, I know you have two daughters. Uh, Girls rule the world. So that's that's no problem. That's good. (laughs) So, Tanil, I want to talk to you about, um, uh, first of all, starting about your early days of community involvement and how you got into uh, deciding to run in the campaign and then looking at a few things uh, during during your time. And, you know, we definitely have to make sure we we speak about the um, uh, pandemic and the impact that had. I know for you, you only had one year in as a as a politician uh, when you got slammed with that. But, uh, you know, I think it'd be good to just uh, get some perspective from you on on what what that was like uh, dealing with that. So so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh, in terms of, you know, where you're from and your career, uh, that sort of thing. Sure thing. So if you're trying to pick the accent, I am Australian uh, and I'm a journalist by background. I worked in newspapers in daily news in Australia and then came to Canada for what I anticipated would be a one-year working holiday. And I ended up um, getting a great job at the Globe and Mail, the national daily paper. They sponsored me to stay in Canada. Mm. So I was already looking, starting to turn more long-term looking at Canada. And then I met a fella and it becomes a very typical immigrant story. Boy meets Um, girl. We fell in love, yada, yada, yada. And he's a kitchener boy. Yes. We moved to Waterloo largely to be closer to his sons, my stepsons. Yes, yes. Uh, we're talking about Anthony Reinhardt. So, yeah, because so, so Anthony and I, we didn't really cross paths in high school. I'm a few years older than him, but we went to the we went the same route as St. Jerome's. And I, I always used to watch uh, for any articles that he had written uh, at the Globe and Mail, because, again, because of the St. Jerome's heritage, it was always good to see how well he was doing and how well he wrote. So uh, I'm yeah. sure he wrote you a lot of beautiful love letters. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, you know what? He did. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow, that was just, uh, I just threw that one out there. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we um, we worked as colleagues for a while. Uh, nice. And then after, it was very professional. And then yes, yes. Evening at the pub, we just happened to sit next to each other and, and uh, just it sparked from there. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, have to, we, that's a theme in my uh, in my life. My, uh, I came late for a class one day and my, my wife, current wife, future wife, <laughs> came in late and sat beside me. So that was sort of how we met as well. Yeah, I know. It's like, I love the, the in-person, the meet, the, you know, I don't know how much that happens anymore for youngins. Oh, um, right. Now it's virtual. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we let me moved tell- to town, but then I left, I decided to move away from daily journalism when we right. came to Waterloo. Back then, like this was 2010. So remote work really wasn't on the radar much to work at the no. Globe. You essentially had to be in Toronto or in one of their bureaus. Right. And Waterloo was not far enough away to be a bureau. So I made a decided move into science writing. 
So I went into environmental science, writing and editing, um, joined some sustainability groups and panels. And because I think what people don't realize is often as a working journalist, you tend to keep yourself at a remove from your community. Right. Because you are the person who's reporting on that community. Right. When I moved to Waterloo, it was my first chance to really jump into the community as a participant, as opposed to an observer. Right. And one could say I got a little carried away. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. But I just want to check, when you were at the Globe, what was your beat or, or areas uh, that you covered when you were there? I did a bit of everything, to be honest. So I was national news, general news, um, did some features, worked for the Globe TO section, which was specifically about Toronto. But I also spent a lot of time on the website, globemail.com. Now, back okay. in those days, before 2010, yeah. um, the website essentially had its own news team. So there was the web news team and then the newspaper news team. Oh, okay. So All right. I was um, less than six months into living in Canada, and I was the person on the website writing the first version of Canadian news that day. Wow. So it's a fantastic way to learn a country. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and the different areas that you were covering off as well. So so now you're in KW and like you said, now you're 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 working in other areas, environmental, et cetera, but it now gives you an opportunity to uh, be a participant in the community. I like how you put that rather than as a, an observer, because I mean, if you're writing for the local paper, you know, you'll bump into somebody at the grocery store, maybe who knows, Hey, why did you write about such and such? And it's, it's like, you can really then wonder who's around and what, but now you're getting involved in, in, in creating things. So what was, what were some of the things you were working on community wise? Uh, the then? first thing I did uh, was start a neighborhood music festival called the grand porch party. So this, there are a few porch parties now around yes. KW region, but ours was the first one. And it was essentially a way to meet neighbours, to make something new. And I was trying to see what might happen if you used art to bring people together in an unusual way and then lay it on an environmental message. Yeah. I, I, I always thought it was brilliant. I loved the porch party concept. Uh, and, and, you know, you're living in... Um, the uptown area. So you're in the old part of Waterloo, right? You know, the old John street, Williams, whatever uh, those, those areas. And, and so you, you're going to have grand porches, right. Yes. Uh, and large yards. Uh, it's actually so named to speak. after the river watershed though. Okay. Okay. The okay. Yes, it, it does. But it just makes me think, but you, you realize though, if you're going to have a, a, you know, three, th three people or four people, they, they can fit on a porch <laughs> and, 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 and present their music and people can enjoy it. I just think, so where did that idea come from uh, for you? Like that, that well, is just a great idea. My brother-in-law would come and visit. He's a musician, Michael Reinhardt. And when he visited, he would just practice in our house in Toronto, the apartment that we were renting. So yeah. when we moved to Waterloo, we had a little front porch. Ours is not one of the grand ones, I got to say. Okay. So it's cute, it's little. And I was just idly wondering, like next time he visits, I wonder if he'll practice out the front. Cause that would be really nice for people to just like hear the music. And then I looked around. Oh, you didn't get mad and say, this noise is driving me nuts. Get outside. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it just kind of sparked like that. But the first porch party, we held it maybe eight months after I arrived 
in Waterloo. Like it was all within the first year of living here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know now, for example, out here in Air, they're they're doing a, for the first time a, a porch fest thing. We don't have a whole lot going on in there, so yeah. So they're they're doing something like that out here. So I'm 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 sponsoring it too. I think it's just a great idea to bring music and people together. So it's fantastic. Yeah. So okay, so you're doing the porch fest. What else are you doing within the community? I was volunteering with Climate Action Waterloo Region. I was sitting on the board of an organization at the time called My Sustainable Waterloo. I don't know, My Sustainable Canada, sorry. Um, I was working at an environmental science magazine. So I was the managing editor of that. And that's where like environmental scientists would be sharing their work with the public. So if you know a website called The Conversation, it was similar to that. Okay. Print. Um, and then, so that was largely my, my community stuff. That's where it all started. Um, so not long after that, I spent about a year in a at the magazine and then we decided we wanted to have babies or at least a child <laughs> or something. Okay. okay. Due, due to some issues, we had to go through IVF. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, sure. 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 So, okay. That's control my stress level. So then I started freelancing. I was also teaching at Conestoga College and oh my Lord. in their journalism programs. Yes. And freelance writing and freelance editing. So I was busy. You were absolutely busy. Wow. And, and so did the, the porch party and, and some of that bring you to, into council in front of council at times uh, for presentations or did, or did you have any uh, involvement with council as a, as a citizen going that to came, represent? Not with the porch party, but um, Melissa Durrell, who was the councillor at the time. Yes. A city event called Open Streets. And that was one of her kind of babies. Uh, from council. Right. They were looking for new committee members. So she kind of asked me, given that I was getting so involved in the neighborhood, whether I'd be interested in that committee. So that's really how I started to get involved with council. I co-chaired the open streets committee to help. And that was for two years. I think I was involved in that event. And open streets, was that like King street in water in uptown Waterloo was opened up for, a day or a weekend or something yeah, like that. Exactly. It meant closing King Street. So we yeah. closed it to vehicles, but we opened it to everyone else. Yes, yes. Open to the people. Close to cars, open to the people. Yeah, this is before the LRT came through. So you couldn't do it now. You couldn't right. close it now because of the LRT line. So open streets still was happening in Waterloo, but they switched it to Willis Way. So they found other spaces and oh, okay, it, it, okay. it closed it to traffic in order to open it up to other opportunities. They should call it Corduroy Road. <laughs> so okay, so Melissa's yeah. So Melissa and I and I've I've uh, we've done some podcasts with Melissa and some interesting things that she was working on, like the Allen Park, Allen Street Park, and and some of the other stuff. So as you're doing open streets, then that brings you a little bit more into contact with council and councillors. And and uh, were you making observations about what you were seeing uh, yeah, at council? I mean, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't a novice at councils. Like I had reported on councils. In yeah. Toronto. <laughs> and uh, well, no, actually I never had to do council. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was able to duck that one. There was a dedicated staff for that. Okay. Um, but, you know, in Australia I'd covered municipal politics, but I'd also always been interested in politics. I had no intent to go into it. Like it was not a, a desire to be a politician 
right. but I've always been hugely interested in politics. I think that's largely why I went into journalism. Like I was the kid, I remember being 10 years old and staying up late to watch state election results come in and stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, so kindred spirits that way. Yes, I understand what you're saying. So yes, yeah, so you're in a- at those council meetings in Waterloo, but it was hard to know what was happening when because a lot of it seemed kind of inside baseball. You had, you had to already know how it worked in order to know how it worked. Right, right. Gotcha. So then when you got the tap <laughs> to run, how did that come about? Well, actually, so I had started to think about one day maybe running for council. So I thought it would be a wise thing to learn about a campaign. So Melissa was nearing the end of her second term and I bumped into her on the street and like we knew each other because obviously like we were from the neighborhood, from the porch party, from open streets and the rest. Yeah. I said to her, look, if you're looking for people to help with your campaign, like I'm looking to learn what campaigns are like. And that's when she said, actually, I'm not looking at running, but you should have a think about it. And I think that's one of the great things about, you know, you mentioned all of the female politicians in Waterloo, all of the women who hold office. I think it's because we do let each other know and we do encourage each other. And I encourage right. men as well. Um, but, you know, we, we have those discussions to say, you're really engaged. You've got skills that could be really useful. Have you thought about it? Yeah, I think I think the nice thing about Waterloo is that in, in 2006, when we were talking to Angela Veith, she mentioned that 2006 was an election that saw a, 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 half a council was was female. You know, we had Brenda Holleran who broke through. Uh, there was her Karen Coviello or skiing at the time, seeing and um, uh, Diane Freeman uh, was there. So you, so so that now, you know, people see what they see and that encourages others when they see, you know, a reflection of themselves in, in their elected officials. And that's a positive thing for, for young girls. That would be a positive thing too, to see that uh, women are are there and active and Waterloo is great for that. I was going to say, it's not because everyone has to be a, a journalist first before they run for that uptown ward, because Melissa was, you know, the uh, CTV reporter for a while covering the Waterloo beat uh, before she ran. So it was just coincidental that the two of you went from journalism to journalism. Uh, it's sort of like a hand the baton on. So did you, I, I was, I was going to ask you, did you ever attend the campaign school that is put on? Yeah. And actually I went, cause I was also, so after I had my, my daughters, um, I was working at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. So I kept going with the science writing, but I was yes. also a parenting columnist for the local CBC radio station. Um, and it was for that column that I went to campaign school because I wanted to find out from women who, people who are parents, what's it like to be a politician and a parent? So uh-huh. I actually went with my columnist hat on rather than as someone who was intended to run. Um, But it was during that day that I was like, oh, maybe I should be thinking of running. And, you know, Melissa's comment was in the back of my mind as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That was said on the day, and and I forget who said it, but they said, if you're waiting for the perfect time to run, it's never going to happen. There will never be a perfect time. So the choice is whether now is good for you or not. Yes. Did you say there were three pieces of advice? 
No, like that, that was, oh, the, that was the, a key thing. No, that's a good one. It's, there's yeah. never the perfect time. I love that. Uh, I think it's that's like so waiting true. For the perfect time to have kids, you know, ain't going to yeah. happen. <laughs> Just got to jump in. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like something I, I, I heard the other day. It's like in the pursuit of perfection, you'll, you'll never get anything accomplished. I, yeah. I, I think, you know, it's a good, it's a good piece. Of, so, so the school, so the school is actually a, that has been a phenomenal springboard for a large number of uh, successful uh, female uh, politicians in yeah. our community. Yeah. Jane so think, gave the community a great service. Instantly. Yeah. Yeah. When she put, when she started that whole process. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me about the, okay. So Melissa's not running. You decide that you're going to run. Um, I know I met you during that campaign in uh, 2018. And if, I think it was at your house. I think you had an open house or something like that. So I popped by and uh, what was the campaign like? It was great, actually. I loved it. I had a wonderful team, a small team. None of us had done anything like it before. Mm -hmm. one, one key volunteer, he had worked on one campaign before. That was the most experience any of us But it was great. We were kind of working it out as we went. Yeah. Uh, we had really wonderful communication. I was lucky enough to have really fantastic people like help me out. Yes. And it turned and I loved door knocking. I loved talking to people and finding out what was important and talking about, you know, where I came from and the kind of I didn't make promises. It wasn't a case of I will go to City Hall and do X, Y, and Z. Right. It was I will if I go to City Hall, these are the things that I will be focusing on. These are the issues of concern. These are yeah. You know, these are the things I'm hoping to sway because, you know, a councillor, it's one vote among eight. Well, that, yeah, that a lot of times people don't realize that until after they're elected and get there. So, yeah, but so you're, you you're right. You're right. Abject promises because yeah. you can't promise to get anything done because you're one person, but you can promise to try. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. You know, everyone says, what are you going to do when you get there? And people will say stuff, but a lot of people don't realize it's not like party politics where there's a platform. And so if you're the government is elected, uh, you know, there's the prime minister or the premier and the elected officials, and you hopefully make some of your platform happen. But as like you said, you're one person of eight or one of, in my case, 16 at the regional council table. So you've got to, you've got to find uh, compromise and cooperation in order to, uh, in working with, in cooperation, not only amongst your elected uh, fellows, uh, councillors, but also staff to work together collaboratively to try to achieve something. Yeah. yeah. So, so what were the sort of themes then that you were running on? Yeah. So I really wanted to push the climate action. It was, it's, you know, it's the clock is ticking terrifying yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. So it was climate action, um, equity, largely in terms of um, trying to make sure that uptown stayed a place where everyone could live, that it didn't become just an enclave of wealthy people. That's mm. wealthy people. Yeah. So those were the main things. And then also just asking good questions, going in there as, Again, I didn't really see myself as a politician. I went in as a community representative. Yeah. And people might say same, same, but there's something in the semantics to me that makes them a bit different. Uh, most people I talk to don't see themselves as politician because like, you know, I'm a lawyer, you're a journalist. That's really what your identity is or community activist. I've got lots of hats. You can choose whichever one. Right. <laughs> 
but and then suddenly you're elected and now you're the politician. And we, sometimes, you know, we, we watch politics and see the career politicians. And we say, well, I'm not that. But you are a politician in a sense. I mean, you have the power uh, to make laws and all that sort of thing. So there is a, a special sort of situation there. But you're right. I mean, most people are, are I, I would say, humble and respectful and recognize the importance of the position they have, but don't want to have the airs or anything like they want. They want to be approachable. Like I'm still the same person you knew the day before sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of it's kind of a, a funny uh, situation there. But, yeah, I mean, asking questions. I mean, who, who better than a journalist to be able to ask questions? Right. I mean, that's your career. Yeah, basically. And it's yeah. also, you know, I'm I'm not afraid to look dumb. You know, it be, journalism beats any ego out of you. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it makes you humble. Um, yeah. But also, I I wasn't going in there either to make friends. I was going in there to represent the community. So I didn't feel right. beholden to anyone. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, I also, but I also didn't want to be a jerk. So it was like, I was going to go in there, be, I know, it's, be yeah. respectful. Um, it's how I roll. And then, you know, and try and have good, decent understandings. But ultimately it was about the greater good. Yeah. How I, 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 the greater good. I was going to say in the ask questions category, that's a good point too, because sometimes people get in there for the first time and they're worried about asking quote, stupid questions or, you know, something that's perceived to be silly or what have you. And, um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's so important for people to recognize that just ask whatever you want to ask, because for the most part, a lot of people will probably have the same sort of questions that yeah, you have. Exactly. Like chances are someone else is wondering the same thing. And there yeah. were times at council meetings where I would ask a question that I already knew the answer to it, but I would ask it because I knew that residents would be wondering. Right. So right. It's very important to have those things asked publicly and have the answers publicly available yeah. so that people aren't left wondering how was that decision made? You know, why didn't they ask about this? It's like, actually, here's like, can you explain X, Y, or Z for the people who are listening? Because most of our council was online. Yeah. Well, this is the new thing now, too, right? I mean, 10, 15 years ago, you you weren't really online or was just starting to go online. It was a new thing to be on the YouTube or something. Um, but now everything is online. So you can have people watching you in real time. And, and that's good. It's a good point. It, it, like, cause you're, you're thinking who's the audience that uh, you want to, and, and they're saved on, you can go back and watch an old council meeting. Yeah. So who's the audience that you're speaking to? And the more you can educate the general public on issues and, and, and not make it so inside baseball, so to yeah. speak. Right. Uh, yeah, no, it's, that's a, that's a good point. It's, I, I forget that sometimes myself, uh, uh, especially when I'm talking to some of the older politicians who are retired. Right. And they would have had none of that. They would have had their council meeting. Maybe a few people showed up, maybe the record uh, was there or some other paper and that's all there was reported. And it wasn't it's verbatim. Like viewership is not high. It's not like, I know material, but uh, it was very helpful because if people had questions, I could direct them to the yeah. and say, "Oh yeah, listen to the whole discussion." So it has a good shelf life. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I know we're talking in the tens, not even yeah. the hundreds, but uh, I, but it's still a, a record that's there. So you know, that's a, that's a great point. So um, on election day, then was it a close race? Did you have a couple of there were people? five people who ran? Oh, five. Okay, uh, it was very competitive. Yes. Uh, I th ultimately, there were two of us who were kind of the the front runners. 
and I, I won by a very healthy margin. Okay, good. Congratulations. Well, right, like partway through. And then in 2018, the, um, the counting system and the website went down for a while. So we were neck and neck. Oh. Uh, but then once it came back online, I won by like, like it was, it was a good margin. Yeah. After you had stuffed the ballast during that black oak yeah. period. <laughs> <laughs> That's Russian disinformation. If anybody's oh, listening. Well, unless there was a ballad of Ethel's. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging chads. But anyway, um, well, congratulations. So now, okay. So now you're elected. Okay. And as you said, you hadn't been a politician, but you've seen councils before, but sometimes, you know, there's a bit of a difference from watching somebody ride a bike all the time to actually riding the bike. Yeah. So what, what was the approach that you took uh, out of the blocks then? just to learn as much as I could to sit down with staff whenever it was available. Um, the first budget was interesting. I tend to dive deep on things so that I can work out how the process works. Um, so my poor family had a pretty rough first year as well. Um, but I, I had the good fortune of being on a city council where four of us were new. So there was a lot of space and a lot of grace given to us to learn. And staff were fantastic in being very open, happy to answer any questions. Uh, and they like Waterloo City, I haven't seen inside other cities, so it could be like this everywhere. But I felt really, really fortunate because the the heads of all of the departments, everyone was so um, gracious and willing to, yeah. and they, they seemed excited that we wanted to know in depth about their work. Yeah. And that's important. That's good advice for anyone that's just starting out um, is, is meet with staff, meet with the heads of the departments. They're, they're very happy to help educate you uh, about what's going on because sometimes that helps answer a lot of questions in advance. Uh, And the more, you know, about how it works, the smoother it is for everybody moving forward. Right. So. Yes. And I tried very hard to learn the, the whys and the where's and everything so that I could hopefully answer a lot of the questions that came to me from constituents. I didn't want to just pass them on to staff. I didn't want to just be this like baton passer. I wanted to know the stuff so that I could explain it. And when I didn't know it and couldn't explain it, then I would bring staff in. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, staff also really wanted to know from us on council, like we had just come off knocking on thousands of doors so they were equally curious and keen to connect to uh, find out what were people interested in, what what's you know they. So it was, it was very yeah. much it wasn't just welcome new council. Let us tell you how things are done. Right, right. Let's sit down together. We'll share we'll share what's happening at the city, and can you please let us know what's happening in the community? Yeah, and that's great, and that's a, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, because from the staff perspective, they're not out knocking on the door, so it's a great opportunity for them to find out what are you hearing because you're actually you're all like a pollster you're out there knocking it's funny too eh? in a campaign it's the only time of uh when someone can just some stranger can just come up to your door and knock on it and have a conversation and no one thinks twice about it because it's during yeah. a campaign any other time you'd be like who are you what are you doing here <laughs> get off my grand porch but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um so when did you start to feel like the, like the climate issue was important to you? So how did that uh, for you, like this is 2019 because by 2020 comes, we're wham into a pandemic. So, I mean, you've, you've got about a year to maybe try to do something or, or the, yeah. there was a bump, a big bump in the road in 2020. We got the ball rolling early. So it largely got started very early in the term because each council puts together its strategic plan. 
Yes. And that's basically the councillors all agreeing what's going to be the focus of the next four years. Yes. And Jen Vasic, who is the councillor for Ward 5, we made a combined push to make environment and equity the overarching themes of that term. Everything would be either feeding into or informed by climate change and equity needs. Yes, yes. Thankfully, council was all on board with that. So, and I feel very fortunate that we had that structure in place when the pandemic hit, because we were already thinking about how can we be creative on the climate change? How can we make sure people aren't being left behind in these discussions? How can we be inclusive? How can we be, because really addressing climate change is all about how are we looking after each other? Right. At the end of the day. Yeah. How are we all contributing to taking care of one another? So it's very much a, how are we looking after? Yeah. So before we get into that, I just wanted to step back. Yeah. I just want to step back for a second because I don't think we've talked about it even on this podcast enough, the strategic plan uh, concept, Mm -hmm. because we're always saying budget is important. Budget show, you know, talks about what you are as a community, what you're doing for the year. What does it reflect about the community? But the strategic plan is a lens too, that is, Mm -hmm. is, is overarching the term. Uh, of it, council. Even, it even overarches the budget. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Budget, everything everything you're that. doing. Yes, I agree. Yeah, they have so, to map to the strategic plan. So I think right. we were very cognizant of that as a council. Like we dug in really hard into the strategic plan to make sure it was as strong as it could be where we needed it to be. So for me, that was making sure we had environment as a core issue that would be acted upon in this term. It wasn't just something we were talking about as something worth doing. It wasn't a goal. It was an action item. Right, right. It's not something you you just you mention and, and nothing happens with it. Uh, because sometimes you, you bring up ideas, and but you, you've got to take the next steps. By having the actual strategic plan in place, that is your guiding principle of yeah. how everything you do during the term is seen the lens through which you see everything is in that strategic plan. No, it's good point because sometimes people are like, Oh, it's a touchy feely thing. I don't really want to bother with it. It's like a, it's agony to go through the process, but it's so relevant and important in terms really of guiding is. you. And it was really heightened for me because my, my dad was actually dying when we were putting together the strategic plan. Oh. So I needed to get back to Australia and to be able to have time with him. But we had this strat plan that we were working on and I couldn't just, Right. I, I couldn't just leave and, and not do it. So yeah. the city was fantastic. They actually brought forward my participation with certain aspects of the plan so that I could get home and be right. with my Right, right, yep. And then yep. I had to just trust the rest of council to do what was right for the community. I'm and just then- wondering, in this age of remote, uh, you know, remote contact, like we're doing this through Zoom and stuff like that, was that option there to like, you could be mm-hmm. in Australia and. Uh... No. Yeah. Cause we used to, we always used to say Skype and then the pandemic mm-hmm. hit and Skype got left on the side of the road and zoom and teams yeah, uh, no, took over. That, that wasn't an option. Yeah. Um, like for, for many, many reasons. Uh, sure, some sure. Some legal, some due to time differences. Yeah, yeah, understood. My head would have been in a different place anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand, I understand. So so it's great, though, that, and, and, and it's very sorry about your father's situation and, and all of that, so my condolences. Um, so uh, then um, the strategic plan is established, mm-hmm. 
And now you're starting to work on that. So what were some of the things you were able to bring forward vis-a-vis the strategic plan during your term in council? So probably the big one was um, we, we declared a climate emergency. And when we did that, I didn't want it to just be a statement again I'm very much very action oriented. So the climate emergency also called for the city to create its own climate action plan. There are community climate action plans, but we did one in-house to make sure we were actually doing the work, not just talking about it. So that got put into place. Like that's uh, being so They've, they've already had some good work going on. Don't get me wrong. The city of Waterloo had great like buildings programs and, and they had a lot happening internally. Right, right. But by having this at such a high level, we could make sure the budget, as you mentioned, yeah. if, if the strategic plan and the corporate climate action plan, that would help direct the funding to the places it could have serious impact on. Yeah. Can you give some examples that? of where that what that manifested itself into? Yeah. So the the Waterloo Memorial Rec Complex, um, yes. people know it, it's on Father David Bauer Drive. Yep. It's now bigger and shinier than ever before. Yes, the big addition. So those additions were already underway. Like the plans were well in process when we started our term. But we approved funding to make sure they could reach the the climate goals for that building. So that building is superb in terms of its footprint. Um, it's, it's better than, than. Is it like the leads, the lead standards? Is that, you know? That. Oh, okay. Yeah. What other ways did the um, strategic plan manifest itself? We established a, an equity and diversity team. So it led to a staff team of, Four, I believe, and yes. then on um, you know Indigenous representation, um, accessibility. They're focused on um, you know just all these questions that again would be at the side of the discussion. We brought yeah. them to the middle of the discussion. And these are permanent positions within the city. Like that continues. Right. It's not something that's just for a term of council and then it has to be renewed. Like. This is ongoing. Yeah. Ongoing. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So this is so you're having like you're having real substantial change and impact. Yeah. Which is partly why I didn't run again. I went into city council hoping to move the needle on some very specific but very important things. Yeah. And we did. Your 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 causes were noble. Mine was like I wanted to finish building an arena. So But yeah, I mean, we'll get to that. The question about r- running again and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing uh, that when you and I were chatting was the uh, transportation master, master plan. plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about that uh, during your time? Yeah. So that was another big one for our council. Um, So most times, okay, for people who may not be paying huge attention to council, and I know there's a few of you out there, it's okay, no worries. (laughs) There are these really big overarching documents that get updated maybe every 10 years, maybe some even some every 50, you know, it depends on the, on the, the plan. And so as a counselor, you don't, you're not updating all of these things. There might be one or two that come during your time. Right. So for us, the transportation master plan was the big piece of city kind of machinations that came 
for us through you know, in our time. And it's the overarching plan for how we design, use, and connect streets and pub- and trails and things like that. Now, I think previously other council other councils hadn't made such a big deal about the transportation master plans. It was just like, this is how we build, how we design roads. Okay. Yeah, a lot of road focus. Sure. Yeah. But our council came in again with that equity lens, with that lens. And we had heard from residents, it was all across my ward, but it was also all across the city that people were unhappy with how roads were being used. Like there's just so, it was all like this, Always, always people who are upset about speeding. Speeding, speeding, number one issue almost, or top three, top three issues when you knock on the door. Yeah. And, you know, how do you solve that? Through Largely through road design. Because councils can't tell people what to do. That's another thing people didn't realize. They would ask us to have the police come. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, just go on down. (laughs) uh, We we can't. We, for good reason, politicians can't tell the police what to do. Right, right. But we can let them know about problem areas. Sure. That's that's the discussion I would have with the police. I also encourage people, they may not know it, but WRPS, like the Waterloo Region Police Service, has an Uh online reporting tool where you can flag problem locations. If there's a right. stop, people are always running, uh, or if you see someone running. But they have, and they have limited resources too for speed enforcement anyway. I mean, there's so many things that they have to do in the community with human trafficking, drugs, uh, 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 break in and enters, you know, assaults, murder investigations, and speeding. So, yeah. I mean, there's just well, too many. It's not, it's not small beings though. because it's No, no, it's, the- it's not, but it's, it's, it's like, time consuming you pull somebody over etc cetera, etc cetera, right so oh we need more speed cameras there you go Over right. here, <laughs> well you know cameras. no i was just thinking not more speed cameras more 30 and 40 kilometer zones right because yes. that'll at least get a lot of people thinking and slowing down not everybody but at least i think it, it changes habits it does and there's research that supports that actually yeah, for sure for crazy. sure we have 30 kilometer neighborhoods um the average speed drops and yeah. it drops beyond that neighborhood too. Yeah. Um, it may, yeah. It's in, uh, the research shows it probably won't drop to 30, but to be honest, we have roads that are 40 or 50 and people speed there too. Yeah. So, so the transportation master plan, because I know the speeding, uh, the, the speed limit was a big issue. And I know, okay. So Royce Bodley had, I remember seeing the video he posted where he actually tested some roads at 30 and 40 and what the difference in the time was, which was pretty insignificant uh, as well. So that would have been part of this, right? The transportation master plan. It was, but it wasn't a big part. No, no, no. But I'm just saying it was a part. That's all. I mean, some things get more attention than others though, whether there's big or small, but. uh, So the master plan, it was talking about reducing road speeds just on the city roads, not on regional roads. Yeah. Right. So it's mostly neighborhood roads. Uh, talked about redesigning when a, when a road does get rebuilt, because normally it's the infrastructure under the road that determines when a road needs to be rebuilt. Right. But when that time comes, the master plan outlines how it should be rebuilt. And as the city, we have adopted Vision Zero guidelines, which aims to make streets just safer as an environment. And that involves designing the street so that it feels like you shouldn't drive so fast there. 
So yeah. it's like having a road that's super wide versus one that's been narrowed at the intersections so that it visually cues you to right. slow. Yeah, and Vision Zero is trying to reduce accidents to zero as a goal, uh, yeah. a noble goal. But yeah, but it, it, but it's in the right direction yeah. for sure. Well, yeah, yeah. I, and, and also the master plan had things like, how do we measure if a road is functioning well? So our council actually we we inserted a lot of different stuff into this plan, and one of it was you know let's not just count the cars, let's also look at how it's functioning for people who are walking people who are biking, you know, people who are using wheelchairs. Yeah. Let's assess it through a multimodal lens, not right. just. Right. Yeah. And that would be a, a shift in thinking over time for sure. Now, yeah. now you could add e-scooters and e-bikes. Okay. <laughs> I do like but, how the e-scooters say, don't use me on a sidewalk. That's very good. Yes, yes, yes. I know. It, 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 anyway, it, I, I, I'm I'm more hesitant on e-scooters just because of the potential danger and, and injury aspect. I love e-bikes. I, I have my wife and I have e-bikes, so they're, they're great to get around. I think they're super. But um, yeah, okay. So, anything else on the transportation master plan you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, no, that was great. Like it, it. I also like there was a lot of focus on improving cycling throughout the throughout the city. Yes. But I always approach that as cycling infrastructure is also a benefit to pedestrians. So pedestrian experience right. is very high in my mind. So I was trying to, it's difficult trying to walk those many lines because buses still need to get around. Delivery vehicles still need to get around. You know, I know, I know. Yeah. Or bike. Like they will, there will always be people who need their cars as well, like for accessibility reasons. So we're trying to, it was a, a, an interesting juggle. But I think yeah, yes, I know. I know what you mean. So when you say bike lanes for because then bikes aren't on the sidewalks, right? I mean that's yeah. And 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 look, I've if it's a day if 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 you feel unsafe on a road, you, you got to go on the sidewalk. I mean, what can you do? It's it's a difficult situation because a pedestrian or a, a bike car accident. There's there's one clear loser in in that situation, and and certainly. If you're on the sidewalk as a bicyclist, uh, and sometimes I'll pop on the sidewalk uh, just to feel a little safer, but I'm always very cautious about any driveways or coming to another intersection and slowing right down to make sure that anyone's around, there's eye contact or, you know, share the road, share the sidewalk. But uh, the the infrastructure is always interesting on bicycles, like, you know, connected and protected, anything you can do to to improve that aspect of it. You had some expansion of, of, uh, uh, bike uh, lanes during your term, right? I mean, tr- yeah. So one of the one of the ones that I love is there's now a protected bike lane on Herb Street for part of Herb as it runs through the core. And as someone who lives on the west side of King Street, so I'm in the Uptown West neighborhood. Yeah, it's actually has provided a crucial east-west corridor to get to the other side of King because it's actually. Nice to get there on a bike if you're not i'm comfortable in traffic like i'm a i'm a very adept cyclist i don't mind being in cars for if if you're not comfortable in car like you know telling cars to bugger off if they're getting in the way (laughs) (laughs) if you're not comfortable doing that you, you you need somewhere so having that protected lane has has been fantastic but yeah the city also there's been a trail extension out to St Jacobs we have new cycling lanes there's new cycling lanes on the regional roads uptown uh, i think what kitchener has done in its downtown is fantastic 
and I think we're just trying to um trying to trying to kind of keep the ball rolling here as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just block out the naysayers. Oh, I haven't seen a bike on that road for a week or whatever kind of thing. <laughs> no, You're in that lane for a week. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I just feel like saying, do you, have you noticed how often the entire road has no cars on it? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, once we get a better infrastructure and connect it, connectivity, it, it will draw. And, and the more intensification we have, it provides more options for people. So yeah. I just look at the more residents of the core that are able yes. to survive, yeah. that frees yep. that that makes road room for the people who don't live in the core and do have to drive. Exactly. So kind of my approach was to think of it in concentric circles. So uh, Ward Seven, which is my ward, and Ward Six have the highest uptake of cyclists, the highest proportion of cyclists, and that makes sense because we can easily bike two or yep. three kilometers to run errands. Um, yes. And that means we are not on the roads, which makes it better for other drivers who are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's interesting because you have that, I mean, Uptown Waterloo, just to, to access all the different shops and services and everything uh, is just, I mean, if if one was to rent a condo or buy a condo somewhere, I think the, the Uptown area is just a just a wonderful place in yeah. terms of all the options and everything that's available there. It's, uh, it's really something. Um, so now, uh, you know, we've got a pandemic that hits. And I mean, for you, you're like, you're just one year quote politician yeah. and now the pandemic hits. Tell me what that was like. So we were really just fighting our feet, I think the new council. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were kind of starting to hit our stride. We we'd worked out how council works, working out how the city works and then every, everything. I mean, if you, anyone listening to this was probably there, you know, it's like right. <laughs> everything went to the wall. Now I, as I said before, I've got twins um, and they were in grade one. Uh. I was I was working part-time at Perimeter Institute as a, as a science writer. I was doing council part-time and I had, you know, grade one kids. So life was already very busy. It suddenly struck me that our house was kind of, our, our home life, it felt like a house of cards that just fell. So personally, I ended up leaving my day job. I, I couldn't do everything. My mm-hmm. kids needed me. So right, I, right. I brought it back to just council and just my kids, like just my family. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic was, as a counsellor, it, it was pretty insane. Like it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Partly because we didn't know what was happening. We didn't have much more information than the public. And for a city councillor, there was even less information because public health is regional. So we were trying right. really hard to, as a region, be cohesive. We didn't want to have different rules in Waterloo than Kitchener so that people could pick and choose whether to wear a mask or not, that kind right, of stuff. Right, right, right. All in and then hold that line. That's that's a good That's a good piece of information because of our two-tier, right? And you could end up with different situations. So sort of like speed limits were different for a little while in the two cities, but you're right. I mean, that's so important, especially with the pandemic. Continue on, please. So we had, uh, we were having weekly meetings um, about this as a council, there would be updates. The staff were working tremendously hard on, on a lot of this. Uh, So we would get updates. There were things that we could speak to the public about. There were things that we couldn't, you know, it just goes with public office. There's not always, yeah. um, 
that you can share. But we were always very clear about, okay, we would ask, can we tell people X, Y, like, but, and there was, um, and almost always the answer was yes. Like there, there wasn't much that wasn't able to be shared. It was really hard though, because, you know, the federal government, every level of government was struggling to work out what to do. So right. early on, the playgrounds were closed. Yes. People thought it was passed through through contact. Right. Yeah. Surface and, contact. Yeah. Like having it was so hard for the kids. And I not and like I I got it because I was doing I was in exactly the same boat as all the other parents. Um so trying to you know, it, it was a juggling act really to be wearing both hats. Um, but you know, I understand science. I understand the scientific process. I yes, understand yes. science is always the best that we know with the information we have. And as we got more information about COVID, the advice changed because it became, this is now the best advice because we have more information. Yeah. And I mean, we have to be flexible with the unknown as more, yes. more becomes known. Right. I mean, yes. yeah, I, I hear and you. I, I tried to communicate that with my, with my residents as much as I could. Um, when there was a change, I would explain as best as I could, why there was a change, what new information had fed into it. But I think also there were people who just wanted certainty and they saw the changing, the changing advice as something of a betrayal. And that was hard. So I was always trying very much to come from a, a place of sharing the information that we had and making sure it was legitimate. Yeah. Well, this is the thing in the, in the social media age, right? If you're, it, we're all within a, our own media bubble, getting information from sources that we've selected that we want to follow because yeah. there is something that lines with some way of thinking and then you're influenced and not able to check the information, fact check the information that well results in, research, in problems. As well that shows that if you come across information that goes against your beliefs, most people will just dig in more deeply to their beliefs. Right. Oh, okay. So yes. Okay. On the slope of the anti-vax, anti-science stuff, presenting the accurate information would often have, uh, it would often backfire because it would. So it's almost a no-win situation. You you want to present it because you want to clarify, but if you don't present it, then it just perpetuates. Yeah, and I think one of the hard things too is like people got under. I mean, I understood why people were frustrated. I understood why people wanted certainty, but I I couldn't countenance the descent into just informational madness, really. I, I, I couldn't really understand or grasp that. Right, right. Um, did you feel that, uh, just, just back to the municipal uh, aspect, like our region, did you feel the two-tier uh, was a hindrance or we were able to overcome and work, work collaboratively uh, despite having the two-tier? No, I think it worked fabulously just with the, you know, with the two tier, like if there are constraints or whatever, um, I'm not, I'm neither for nor against amalgamation. I'm just like, um, but it's. Yeah. This wasn't this, a this question. I wasn't work. leading to that with this question. I was just wondering just procedurally how things worked. That's all. Yeah. I think procedurally it worked very, very smoothly because we knew we were all in it together. Yeah. 
And in some ways, in some ways it was helpful as a city councillor because I, I wasn't involved. I wasn't involved in policy at all. So I could just kind of punt people over to the regional councillors a bit. So right, it gave me right. more capacity to um, just focus on what the city could do. Because, you know, people think, you know, politicians have you know, lots of money, lots of power. And I'm just like, nah. <laughs> if you're looking no. either, if you want either of those, do not go into city council. It right. is not politics. Well, maybe if you're a senator in the States, they seem to do quite well after yeah. they're all done. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there's a fairly limited sandbox that, we, that we're in. Yeah. Um, so my focus was able to be what can we do for the community with the tools that we have. So I was working very closely. Like I sat on, as a councillor, I was on the board of the Uptown BIA, the business improvement. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how was that working with the local businesses in, in, in Waterloo? Yeah, so that was, I mean, they were doing it so tough. They were, and the, the rules kept changing. The The people who run the BIA were amazing. They did such a good job of keeping businesses up to date and informed. So big shout out to Tracy and the team. They were <laughs> phenomenal. As a counsellor, I tried really hard to um, help smooth any issues between businesses and the city. So what we did, uh, the economic development team at the city very quickly came up with some options for how we could make things easier for businesses. You know, And it was things like, let's let them use the sidewalk. Right. Let's make patios you know, permitted on parking lots, you know, if maybe we can make city property available for pop-up markets and things like that. So it's funny, all these things that in the past might've been too hard or would have taken a while to put together. Too much red tape. Yeah. Like very quickly, it was like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a positive. Now I got to ask you though, because we can't do the podcast without asking about the photo. (laughs) So the iconic photo, the salute that you gave uh, to the rally. Tell tell me, tell us about that. Okay. Well, look, it just, it just wasn't my classiest moment. I got to say. And it was a number of things behind it. You know, the, the abject anti-science-ness of it, the fact that, a uh, federal politician was exploiting this for really divisive reasons. Um, personally, I recently lost my sister-in-law because her cancer wasn't caught in time because of uh-huh. restrictions. Right. Um, there was a lot. There were many, many, many layers. And I think I, I was just frustrated. Yeah, you you represented what many were feeling. Like we just had it with all of that going on, and there was a release right there. Yeah, it was it was. Um, you know, I did get a lot of thanks very quietly from people um, right across the across the city, actually. Uh, but there were understandably people who were not thankful and not impressed. Oh, and sure, I, sure. You know, it wasn't as I said, not not my classiest moment. Well, you know what. Just like you said earlier, uh, we talked about if you're going to pursue the perfect, then nothing's going to happen, yeah. right? I so mean, I think. Just a side note: I had a few Aussie reach out and say, "What was the big deal?" So I think <laughs> the, the main thing was a bit of cultural dissonance because it's, it's slightly less offensive in Australia. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so I'll just say she's Australian. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Tanielle, I just want to end on that. I know you you didn't run again, uh, obviously, for a whole lot of reasons. Reasons, um, and uh, 
you know, I mean, it, a lot of it, it, one, you you accomplish what you want to accomplish and, and it's good on you to say, okay, I've, I've done what I wanted to do and I'm going to move on to other things, something like that. Correct. That's part of it. I also wanted to show people that you don't have to do it forever. You, right can, on. you can work hard, you can do it at a sprint and then you can finish when you're ready. Um, also, I'm in your camp. That's, that's what I, I'm in the camp. I'm the same. Yeah, but another big reason was, you know, climate action really is still my driving focus. And I was able to work to put the mechanisms in place. This term of council is going to be making sure that actually happens. And I think a different skill set was needed. Yeah. Well, now now you can still be on that issue, but from the outside without any oh. burdens of office and and be that, uh, you know, free bird to uh, free spirit to say, this is what we have to do and, and fight and advocate on that one issue without dealing with all the other stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, Tineo, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciated the time and, and for making yourself available. And I wish you all the best and on all your future adventures and endeavors. Thank you. I will be watching from the gallery eating my popcorn. <laughs> okay. Take care, Tanil. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you for listening to another edition of the Old Grey Mayors podcast. If you have any ideas for stories or people you would like us to interview or reach out to, please feel free to contact us. And thank you again. <laughs>